1: baseball season is heating up odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes recap games react to the latest team news and talk to callers listen to your favorite shows for free on the odyssey app odyssey.com your smart speaker or in the car with android auto or apple carplay
0: And welcome back. It is Hardline. One hour down, one hour to go here on News Radio 930 WBEN. And we have on the phone from Business Insider, Buffalo's own Dave Leventhal. Dave, good uh, morning. Great to
3: be with you. Go Bills. Uh, hope, hope you're having a good day.
0: Yeah, go Bills indeed. Let me tell you. uh I, You know, to, to to not go too far off on the Bills game to start things off, but it seems like we usually do. Um, you know, Brian and Susan were talking about on Friday how ah, they're kind of looking past this. They have Miami. I, I don't know. I I don't think there's anyone you want to look past. Right now, you're in first place. You should take every game as seriously as, hey, we win. We're still in first place. I, I mean, the, the
3: football gods give us, and the football gods take it away and we've seen that in uh in, in very stark fashion over the past three weeks uh, especially when we were uh, sitting not so prettily at six and three so nine and three is great but nine and four would not be so great and also give uh, entree to other teams like oh kansas city and whatnot so yeah i don't i don't think any bills player right now uh, is, is being a observer of this team very acutely is looking past the jets who are uh, of course very dangerous and have a uh you know have a little skin on their wall, too, uh, that, that maybe be uh, red, white, and blue uh, Zuba's stripes, if you get my drift.
0: Yeah, hey, they beat us at MetLife. Let's make sure we take care of business here in New York, and uh, in the real New York, by the way, so we can uh, look forward to that Saturday night national game next week. Now, Dave, obviously a lot going on here in the sports world, but as always, a lot going on in D.C., and the news of the week Uh, out of D.C. seems to be the prison swap for Brittany Griner uh, that the U.S. made with Russia. What are the details of this and how is it being received in D.C.?
3: Well, very few people who I've talked to about this are uh, unhappy. I mean, it's great when any American who is in captivity and, and they're so wrongfully, especially in a country like Russia, is being returned to the United States and has been right now. Uh, she she flew into Texas, uh, San Antonio, and uh, is uh, is back on U.S. soil. So as a result, that's great. Uh, but obviously, it raises a whole host of other issues that have been articulated in various forms and fashions about, for example, uh, other uh, Americans who are in Russian uh, prisons right now or serving time there unfairly. What's going to happen to them and also to The very notion of doing deals with Russia at a time when we are actively supplying Ukraine to defend itself against Russia and are at pretty much the the nadir of our relationship with Russia on an international relations level, at least since the Cold War and arguably, you know, the latter stages of the Cold War were warmer than things are today uh, with the United States. Uh, you know, you think back to the 80s when Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev were having their summits and whatnot. Well, you know, that, that's Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin are not hanging out today. So it's a really awkward, um, fascinating, tragic, uh, and, and curious situation all wrapped up in one. And uh, you, you better believe that here in Washington, D.C., this has been the talk of the town.
0: Now, Dave, you know, uh, Brittany Greiner was over there for a marijuana-related charge. The United States make the prison swap to get her back home. But it, it does kind of put the spotlight on the fact that marijuana federally is still a, a crime, is still against the law in the United States. Has anyone brought that up?
3: Yeah, well, you know, first, just fundamentally, she was there on, on basically trumped up charges about, Marijuana possession, which may or may not have even been true, and and we are swapping a prisoner who is a notorious arms dealer. So there, if there is uh, some debate and some uh, concern about the appropriateness of it, it, it is very much centered on that. That in essence, uh, you know, we're we're taking somebody who is a hardened criminal who can very much do great harm uh, in swapping them for somebody who is, you know is is not at all. Uh, should we be giving up? Somebody like that, and sending them back into russia where where they could do you know potentially great evil, uh, so you know you'd be the judge as to whether that that 's an appropriate thing or not, but the issue of marijuana i, I mean is I, I on one hand here in the United states it's like okay well, you, you walk through washington d c and I mean people are smoking pot on their porch, walking down the street it 's no big deal. the cops are not coming by uh, and and that 's the case in many places. Across the country, but yet at the same time too, there's this hodgepodge patchwork quilt of rules and regulations and laws that that make it okay sometimes and not okay other times it's very state based and it really underscores too that you know states and the federal government are just completely not in concert on this uh, and, and and that there's no standard really at any level yeah, so states do have a lot of power. So does the federal government. And, and there's a great deal of tension as to ultimately where this is all going to land. It's a situation, as we well know, that is very quickly evolving, very fluid. And, and still for people, you know, who possess marijuana, there's a lot of care that needs to be taken and to the, you know, locality as to ultimately what, what is going to be considered legal and, and not. Even airports, I, I've seen, you know, plenty of examples of you know where there's amnesty boxes where it's like all right you can't have <laughs> you can't take your weed on the plane so but it's okay if you have it right now and you can put it in this box here so you don't get yourself in trouble a lot of people think that there should be a very better way
0: yeah, you spoke of the uh prisoner that was swapped for Brittany griner what can you tell us about him uh, how long was he in american prisons and was he set to be released in the future what was his uh crime and was it a lifelong sentence before this swap
3: yeah. So so to your latter question first, uh, you no, know, he was not going to otherwise be released. Uh, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head exactly how long uh, he was in there for. But I mean, this is somebody who, again, was a notorious arms dealer, was in a great deal of trouble and was a person of great interest to the United States, but also great interest to Russia. And they wanted him back. So You know, this is uh, this is probably not the last time we're going to be having a discussion about uh, prisoner swamps with uh, with Russia or, for that matter, other countries, too, that may see this as an opportunity to uh, to get what they would consider to be a political prisoner back from the United States. Uh, And there are plenty of countries in South America, Iran, uh, uh, you know, other people who we might not be playing nicely with or other countries that uh, may see this as an opportunity to. Open up uh, channels of diplomatic conversation, if you will, uh, about uh, whether there is some, uh, you know, United States citizen, American citizen uh, in, in one of their prisons uh, who might uh, they might be interested in getting back in exchange for something else.
0: Now, Dave, we uh, we looked to the Senate and we had a Senate runoff on Tuesday was the uh, the talk of the political world Uh Senator Raphael Warnock was reelected in the runoff but I, was it was it just me or was that closer than some people were expecting um on Tuesday It was close
3: I mean of course we knew it was going to be close just by virtue of the results of the general election which were just a little bit more than a a percentage point uh, separating Herschel Walker the Republican from Raphael Warnock the incumbent Democratic senator so You know, and it ended up a a little bit wider than uh, than what had happened uh, during the general election uh, in the runoff. But I don't think anyone was really expecting that there was going to be, you know, on one hand, a five or six percentage point difference and Raphael Warnock was going to run away with it. We knew that this was going to be tight. And, you know, the big question is, is the people who voted in the general election, were they going to vote again? And also, too, were there new people who didn't vote at all and were going to choose the runoff uh, to vote? So ultimately, Raphael Warnock, he had a better turnout, uh, get out to vote effort and was able to, especially in his key areas where where there were many more Democrats and Republicans, got them motivated and got them to the polls. When you look at the maps and and the voting trends, uh, uh, Herschel Walker didn't quite have that uh, nearly as much in terms of getting out his base uh, to go and vote. And that hurt him. And, you know, what also hurt him was just the fact that he had, not, just not been a very good candidate at, at times, uh, you know, confusing answers to questions, uh, you know, contradictions about what it was he would do or not do as a as a senator, definitely questions about his background, both in the business world and then, of course, uh, the, the issue of abortion and whether he had paid or encouraged a former Lovers and girlfriends to uh, to abort their children. So, you know, we have a (laughs) we have a candidate who definitely has some baggage uh, in Herschel Walker. And that was for, I think, at least some Republicans, including Republicans who were not supportive of Donald Trump and voted for, you know, Brian Kemp, the Republican governor uh, who was very uh, anti-Trump in most ways. Uh, that that just didn't sit well with them. And if you have an electorate, if you have a base that just isn't that excited about you, or at least part of that base, well, in a close race like this, Joe, that that is going to be a deciding factor, and it very much was.
0: So how is Georgia viewed now? Is Georgia... A purple state is Georgia a state leaning blue? Because you know, Brian Kemp is very popular in Georgia, but if you look at their senators, uh, they're Democrats. What is why right now, if you look at the state of Georgia, would you put it in the purple category?
3: Yeah, Joe, I would absolutely put it in the purple category, but with a big asterisk next to it, because there there's a schism of sorts within the Republican Party in Georgia, and that's why you have Brian Kemp becoming governor again and getting reelected, in part because he he appealed enough to all Republicans for them to go out and vote against Stacey Abrams, the Democratic candidate who lost this star, shining star for the Democrats who lost two straight elections in a row and hasn't served in office in years now. So that, that was a huge blow to the Democratic Party and Brian Kemp, a massive victory for him and for Republicans there. But you know, all right, he wins the governorship. Why? Why wouldn't Herschel Walker win? You know, you would think that, all right, if if that's going to be the case, then it should be the case, too, with Herschel Walker. But it does go down to the candidates sometimes and it goes down to what the candidate represents, how he or she is able to represent themselves on the campaign trail. And, you know, Raphael Warnock, too, he was an incumbent and was able to definitely leverage his uh, the power that you get from being an incumbent, whether it's financially or otherwise, to, uh, to eke it out uh, in the end, too. So the fact that a state like Georgia, similar to what you see in a couple of other states, it's rare, but it still happens. New Hampshire is a good example of where voters, uh, there are enough independent voters or there are enough Democrats or Republicans who are willing to entertain the other side and not just immediately default to the party that they would be inclined to vote for most of the time, Uh, you know, they're the X factor in all of this. And that's why you got different results and and basically a a split decision in Georgia with Democrats winning one big race, Republicans winning another big race. And Herschel Walker, one has to wonder if it wasn't Herschel Walker running, but another Republican who uh, was more like Brian Kemp. If, if Republicans would have won that seat. Uh, a lot of Republicans are asking themselves that question now, and I know that because I've talked to plenty of them, and they're scratching their heads saying, man, this was a missed opportunity.
0: So looking forward to 2024 and the state of Georgia, expect to see both parties put some money into that state?
3: <laughs> I, you know, I, you gotta look at Georgia, I think for the next several years at least, as one of the most important states uh, you, you know, in the country for for any statewide or national race. Uh, You know, we will see how the presidential election turns out. Is it going to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden? Is Joe Biden not going to run? Is Donald Trump going to flame out and somebody else gets a nomination? I mean, lots and lots of intrigue that I trust we'll be talking about for the next two years nonstop. But that all being said, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a situation where Georgia, just because it is that tight, is going to be a focal point. Absolutely. In the general election uh it's it's a true swing state and and one of the you know really only the handful of bona fide swing states that that will be in play in in a presidential election regardless of who the candidates are you know most states in a presidential race race and in this day and age are not swing states we know who's going to win it's going to be a democrat or it's going to be a republican so it'll come down to that you know, eight or 10 or 12 or 15 states that are truly in play to determine who the next president of the United States is.
0: And so after Tuesday, Democrats had a 51-49 advantage until Friday morning, this morning, the morning that we're, the afternoon that we're recording this. uh, Kristen Sinema uh, says that she is now going to be an independent in the Senate. Uh, Dave, how did she come to this decision? And (laughs) is it all that surprising?
3: Uh, I mean, on one hand, it was a surprise. You wake up in the morning and she's written an op-ed and released a video and she's an independent now. I mean, it's also totally not surprising in the sense that she, over at least the past several years, has been willing really at any turn to go against her own party and you know, not exactly side with Republicans, but also to, you know, was willing to to really just kind of hold the Democratic agenda hostage uh, in a major way for things that she might want for the state of Arizona, which she represents, or just some philosophical view that, that she had on any number of issues, you know, ranging from transportation to financial issues, and the list goes on. So she is staying within the Democratic caucus. And you can think of Bernie Sanders as a good uh, analogy and analog for this, where he too is an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. So that means that the 51 to 49 split is more or less still the 51 to 49 split. But it also too means that you know there's going to be perhaps a little bit more onus on Kirsten Cinema from uh from her own standpoint to be provocative to poke at democrats <laughs> to split with them when they want so uh, not that she was ever a guaranteed vote for Democrats over the past several years, but that may be underscored and put in boldface a
0: little bit more
3: than even it was the past two years, which has been significant.
0: So Dave, how will that go in 2024 as a independent? I would assume that the Democrats and the Republicans would put a candidate up so we could see a three uh, a, a three-way Senate race?
3: Entirely possible and at this point uh, entirely likely. So that's going to be one of the, the the more, you know, curiouser and curiouser Senate races of uh, 2024, because it will be almost certainly, you know, if things hold, a three-way race. I, I can't see or imagine any scenario where Democrats or Republicans would just sit it out and and not have a candidate up. Uh, Democrats are definitely not going to support Kirsten Cinemas, since she just left the party. So, you know, you could have somebody like Ruben Gallego, uh, you know, congressman, definitely any of you know, several, many Republicans who uh, would, would vie for that Senate seat, uh, including potentially, who knows, Carrie Lake, uh, who just lost the, the governorship there. Definitely, you know, popular uh, among many Republicans there and might want to try again for another office. So lots and lots of intrigue there. And one big question, though, is, you know, Kirsten Cinema, is she going to lose all of her support? You know, who's going to fund her campaign are, are her donors going to bail out on her does she really have a constituency and or is it going to be actually an advantage for her to, you know, split it up three ways where even if she wins 34 percent of the vote? Well, it's going to be a little bit more than the other two win. So, yeah, lots of different ways that we can cut this. And uh, the, the cutting pretty much starts now.
0: So beside Bernie Sanders, you know, I'm trying to think back of six of independent senators that ran successful campaigns. Uh, who am I missing?
3: Well, I mean, there's a few in, in relatively recent history. Uh, well, first of all, there's uh, Angus King, who's senator from uh, the state of Maine, uh, who is an independent, also caucuses with Democrats. There was Jim Jeffords from Vermont, uh, from, uh, you know, really we're talking about 20 odd years ago. Joe Lieberman, senator from, uh, from Connecticut, all different situations, uh, but oftentimes they switch parties. You know, even Charlie Crist, uh, the congressman turned gubernatorial candidate in Florida, he's been a Republican, an independent Democrat, uh, you know, at different stages uh, in his political career. And, you know, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who's still a senator, she uh, she ran as a right end candidate and actually won one of her races uh, in the past. And so there, there have been interesting stories like that, uh, again, all a little bit different and have their own complexities and complexions. But uh, the Kirsten cinema race is, is probably going to, to immediately rise right uh, to the top of the heap among the uh, Senate races or congressional races of that sort involving an independent uh, or, or somebody running as, as sort of a third party type candidate. And, uh, and yeah, there's going to be a heck of a lot of money in their race, too, Joe.
2: at shopify.com slash Podcast. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash Podcast. Baseball is back,
1: and so is MLB.tv.
2: Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand.
0: Coming to the end of, uh, of the term for Congress, for Senate, you know, holiday break, uh, the January 6th committee uh, is wrapping up their work as well. And are we expecting anything out of them uh, before they are no longer January 1st?
3: We absolutely are, Joe. And what we're expecting is two things in particular. Number one, that they are going to release a report, a written report. So if you remember back to, say, the, the 9-11 Commission, of course, it was a different kind of entity, bipartisan. This is, you know, nominally bipartisan, but but not a commission. It's a committee. January 11th had a huge book that they basically published. That we can expect something out of the, uh, or the 9-11 Committee did. We can expect something out of the January 6th Committee that that's going to be Uh, akin to that, and that's going to be a written report, um, hopefully pretty readable, uh, that's going to detail what their findings are for better or for worse, whether you agree with them or not. Uh, There's also potentially going to be a final hearing that'll come Merry Christmas right before the holidays. And uh, that's something, too, that will, of course, be of high intrigue. But the, the committee is going away. When Republicans take control of Congress in January, that's it, you know, FINE, DUNZO. And we're not going to be hearing about that committee anymore because it will not exist. So really, they've got their last, best and only opportunity to, uh, to say sort of a, a final word on this before they, uh, before they close shop. And whether law enforcement investigations are informed by their findings or use their findings or take, you know, criminal referrals or whatnot and run with them that remains to be seen but yeah uh, the the end is near uh, and, and the end is coming
0: you know looking back on the january 6 committee now obviously if you if you watch that if you're from one side of the aisle you think oh my gosh i you know people are hanging on to every word i've got to tune into the network uh primetime if you're on the other side of the the aisle you're like this is just you know all political this is Have you talked to Republicans, Um, you know, I had Chris Jacobs on when this was all being talked about, there was going to be a committee, and he voted for a committee so Republicans could select their members to the committee. Uh, Obviously that didn't pass. Do you know if anyone's looking back on, on the Republican side and saying, you know, maybe we should have voted for this so we could have controlled who the Republican representatives were on this committee?
3: It's a mixed bag, and and yeah, I, I have talked to Republicans. Can't can name names. A lot of these are <laughs> off the record conversations. But uh, you know, who had sort of, for lack of a better term, buyer's remorse uh, that that they that they didn't uh, you know ultimately give Republicans give themselves an opportunity, their own party to have representation beyond the two Republicans on the committee who were demonstrably anti Donald Trump. So. You know, would the discourse been different? Would the questioning have been different? Would have the The primetime events been less one sided, of course, it it totally would have been a different thing. But the risk, of course, was that by doing so, by participating, by by joining in on this, they they would be in either tacitly or overtly uh, supporting the the notion of investigating Donald Trump and and participating in, in what was a, you know, ultimately an effort to not just investigate January 6th and the root causes and 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 the event itself but as we all know it very much was focused on the former president the 45th president so you know that was a a very very risky thing to do and it was risky either way republicans made their choice and i think really the biggest question which You never can really quantify it, Joe. It's impossible to do so. But how much did the January 6th committee and the the findings, the proceedings, the the, the live television of it all hurt other Republicans who were tethering themselves to Donald Trump during the midterm elections? Had that gone differently, had we not found out many of the things that ultimately we did uh, about what Donald Trump did or did not do that day and leading up to that day? Um, You know, would would things have been different for somebody like a Herschel Walker? I don't know. I don't think anyone will know. But here in Washington, D.C., this is a topic of conversation and continues to be a topic of conversation. And Republicans, I think, are having conversations actively about learning from that uh, as, as we immediately go to the next election cycle which, of course, will have a presidential candidate uh, up on the top of the ticket.
0: I got to ask that question another way as well, Dave. Uh, Democrats, you know, as you said, there were two Republicans on the committee, but Republicans that, number one, aren't um, too popular within the Republican Party and were very much anti the former president. Uh, Do you think there's any Democrats or have you spoken to any Democrats that say, you know, maybe we should have put, a more popular Republican, giving them access to the committee, so it's not viewed as this political hit piece. Less
3: Democrats feeling that way than Republicans probably feeling that they wish there were Republicans who were not Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger on the committee um you know democrats did pay a price uh I- at least in small part uh, elaine luria uh, who's a congresswoman democratic congresswoman she lost her election in a close race where where her district was you know very 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 purple and uh, even you know if you look at the numbers leaned a little bit uh to the side of republicans so she's out of congress she's not coming back and uh, you know, there's quite a strong possibility. Again, you can't quantify it or draw, it, uh, draw a direct line, but quite possible that her participation on that committee had had an effect on her. But yeah, it's it, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning quarterbacking going on about uh, how the committee actually worked out and who politically benefited from it. And then, of course, there's the argument that well, look. Everyone wants to look at this in partisan terms, but this was an effort, even if it was skewed toward Democrats, to get to the heart of what happened on one of the darkest days of America, where people died in the U.S. Capitol, was attacked and and trashed inside. And, you know, I, I was there and I saw it with my own eyes and it was as, as bleak a day as, uh, you know, almost any day in American history, save for a few select ones.
0: Staying with Congress and talking about leadership, uh, we saw the leadership votes two weeks ago and we see uh, Nancy Pelosi stepping down, uh, obviously won't be the speaker uh, as Republicans take over the Congress, uh, but won't be in a leadership position at all. Uh, She is uh, handing that over to Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, So Nancy Pelosi for the next two years will just be a congresswoman from California.
3: She will just be a congresswoman from California on one end, but of course she will just not be any congresswoman from California. I think the biggest question is, is she going to truly step away? Is she going to be sort of the, you know, the silent hand from behind the scenes, orchestrating things, being a puppet master? Uh, I mean, this is sort of the, you know, the the rumor mill chatter that, that we're hearing. And, I, you know, I don't think anyone truly knows how this is going to go out, uh, but, you know, one practical implication of all of this or or one practical issue for democrats to to deal with and grapple with is that they're not in the majority so it's not like they're going to have any any great deal of power it's uh Nancy Pelosi would not be speaker of the house as she noted uh she she would not have any you know massive ability to drive legislation or otherwise you know be the uh, be the top person uh, in the US house so as a result, uh, it's it's more, you know, a curiosity. But one thing I will point out is that, and we reported on this in a 30-part series a couple of months ago called Red, White, and Gray at Insider. And the current Congress, we calculated, was the oldest Congress in U.S. history. No Congress has ever been older. The average age of a member of Congress, Senate, House, Was in their early 60s. And many, many members of Congress were in their 70s or older, about one in four. And that number has actually dipped down with this new Congress coming in. The average age, median age, I should say, of a member of Congress is going to be uh, two and a half years younger than it was in this current Congress. And talking about Democratic leadership, well, Democrats and Nancy Pelosi acknowledge this, perhaps begrudgingly that they needed a shift in generational shift. They they needed to hand the keys to leadership over to a younger crowd. So you mentioned Hakeem Jeffries. The top three leaders of the Democrats are going to be in their early 50s, or in in the case of Pete Aguilar of California, the number three Democrat, he's going to be in his early 40s. So there's a massive change in sort of this gerontocracy that we have in the United States, uh, at least in this one example where those who are in their 70s and 80s, and mind you, the top three Democratic leaders—Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn—they were all in their early 80s. Uh, so that—that's a very distinct difference than, uh, the, you know, the leadership that we have today. And, and Republicans too are, you know, also going to be led by uh, likely Kevin McCarthy, uh, his Speaker, who's in his 50s. It's going to be a different kind of
0: Congress. And I want to get to Kevin McCarthy, but I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, the red, white, and gray because I was going to ask, as you know, Democrats move away from Nancy Pelosi in leadership uh, in the Congress, uh, Charles Schumer is going to continue being the leader in the Senate. Uh, were you surprised by that? And does this seem to be his last term as, uh, as Senate leader? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, definitely, if he wants to stay, he's Going to get reelected and just did so.
3: You know he's got you know many more years to to go in his uh, new new term. But uh, you know it, it definitely does underscore that gerontocracy is still very present, uh, even if it has changed in certain aspects. And the presidential race will will be a I think a referendum on whether we want leaders uh, as president of the United States in their their late 70s or early 80s for perpetuity or a new generation uh, to to come in. But sticking with the Senate for a second, yes, Chuck Schumer will be majority leader again. But one interesting wrinkle, which kind of got, you know, didn't get a whole lot of headlines, may have not heard of it, is the Democrats, uh, they will not have a speaker pro tem, which is somebody who is right at the top of the line to the presidency after the vice president in the House Speaker, typically that goes to the most senior member of the majority party. Well, that would be Dianne Feinstein, who's 89 years old and by all accounts, including you know multiple reports that we've made, is having difficulty with her job, is not understanding certain things that are going on, um, you know, acting confused uh, at times about uh, her job and responsibilities. She is not going to be Speaker pro tem. So that's breaking with a, a very you know, notable tradition. It's going to go to Patty Murray, a senator from the state of Washington, who's in her early 70s. But, you know, somebody who's almost a full two de- decades younger than, than Dianne Feinstein would have been. So, you know, some interesting red, white and gray gerontocracy related wrinkles, too, going on on the Senate side.
0: And you mentioned uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, who's running for Speaker of the House. But it seems every time I bring up Kevin McCarthy, you've got people that, you know, are pushing back that this might not happen, that there, there might be some people breaking uh, with the Republican Party and voting against him uh, being the Speaker. Where we stand now, does it seem likely he's going to have the votes? I mean, if you're
3: if you're going, you know, Going to make an online bet or something uh, about whether Kevin McCarthy prop bet about whether Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker or not. I I would have to say at least at this point in time, and I reserve the right to change my mind two two weeks from now. That, that you got to put your money on on him being speaker. I think the talking about practical implications uh, if if he ultimately was not the speaker uh, and Republicans revolted and tried to put somebody else to... The final vote, Democrats get to vote on who the speaker is, too. And usually it's the party in power gets to pick the speaker because, well, in the end, they will have a unified vote. But this this Congress, this House, even though... It's very, it's led by Republicans. It's very tight. Uh, There's only a, a handful of votes or a handful of seats that separate Democrats from Republicans. So if you had, you know, say, just for the sake of argument, 20 defectors from the Republican Party vote for somebody else. Well, I mean, you might be able to cobble together, you know, those Republicans voting for, I don't know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then the Democrats left with the choice of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy. Could in some kind of weird scenario, vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene, just say, all right, you know, you Republicans, you just you put the most extreme person up there possible. We're not in power anyway. Just just go and burn yourself to the ground here. So, you know, we're starting to to play some mental games here about how this would all work out. But it does definitely raise the curious, curious possibility of, of there being some drama in regards to that, too, Joe.
0: Dave, two more questions, and I appreciate you giving me the time today. Um, Number one, Republicans taking over Congress. You know, Elon Musk has been releasing these, quote, Twitter files on Twitter. Is that going to get some attention in the new Congress starting in January?
3: Yeah, it it might, depending on what they say. Uh, the, The first round was interesting, but not exactly explosive of a you know, Watergate level or anything of that sort. So there, there are allegedly going to be or uh, supposedly going to be more rounds of these coming out. Uh, Twitter release number two. And, uh, yeah, if, if there are prominent names mentioned, yes, that will definitely get attention. If there are shenanigans or illegality or untoward actions by members of Congress or political officials, governmental officials or, or those in the political sphere writ large, then, yeah, I suspect that there could be fallout from it. Think of the, you know, DNC email hack leak that happened in 2016. And there, there were reverberations from that that lasted uh, years and was highly embarrassing for the Democrats and for Hillary Clinton uh, at the time, too. So depending on what is behind the curtain, uh, that that will really dictate uh, the, the quality and the content of it uh, as to, you know, ultimately what the meaning of it is.
0: And my final question, Dave, you know, you're a, a journalist, you, you, you've, you've worked in the, in the field. We, we heard about the um, New York Times Union uh, taking a 24-hour walkout. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: It's pretty unprecedented, at least in modern history. At the level that it was at, uh, it, you know, it came, it passed, and, uh, and the writers and those who were members of the union are, are back on the job. But it definitely underscores uh, deep, deep unrest uh, internally at The New York Times and speaks to sort of a a broader phenomenon uh, in the industry where many news publications have have unionized uh, and and engaged in collective bargaining with their uh, news organization. And, you know, there have been so many layoffs and and buyouts and even news organizations that that have shut down or imploded uh, over the past several years. And many of the the workers uh, for them are, you know, searching for some semblance of stability and and job security and without it are, are, you know, just afraid that the corporations that they work for are going to you know, make their jobs go away or otherwise make their jobs untenable. So that, too, is a very fluid situation, which is playing out all over the country. And uh, the, you know, the Buffalo News is among the many publications, uh, at least, you know, traditional newspaper publications that, uh, you know, are also uh, grappling with this very issue. I love that Insider is a unionized publication as well. And, you know, we're, we're having the same kinds of internal conversations as many publications are around the country.
0: Deputy Deputy Editor at Buffalo Insider, Dave Leventhal. Dave, thank you so much for the time. Go Bills! Go Bills!
1: Baseball season is heating up odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes recap games react to the latest team news and talk to callers listen to your favorite shows for free on the odyssey app odyssey.com your smart speaker or in the car with android auto or apple carplay